All right, so real quick, if you had to uh, extend an invitation to someone for lunch this week, someone who uh, you've never met before, someone who you've never spent time with before, but it's someone that you have watched from a distance, maybe it's somebody who is a prominent figure in um, uh, politics, perhaps it's someone who is a uh, your favorite athlete. It could be maybe somebody who is uh, famous for one reason or another, or maybe it's just somebody that you have heard about and you have the opportunity uh, to sit with them for lunch this week. Who would it be? Uh, Chances are you might be able to think uh, down through, like maybe there's some people. If I was given the chance, uh, I know that this is probably not, not the most spiritual answer that you would want to hear from your preacher, but uh, I would love to spend uh, lunch with Peyton Manning. Uh, Perhaps there's a few other people that I would want to sit down and talk with. Again, not the most spiritual answer, but uh, I'd like to spend some time with Bono. Uh, talk with him a little bit. Perhaps there's somebody else that that you might think to yourself, man, I would if I had lunch with an individual and get anybody and sit down and talk with them. Here's what I'm confident. I'm confident that you would spend some of that time asking some questions. The idea is not just to sit there and just eat chips and salsa and just watch each other the whole time. But you would engage in some conversations. And honestly, the very best way to get to know somebody, especially somebody you do not know, is to ask some questions. Well, uh, I also believe that uh, there's someone else that we could get to know better if we would just be willing to spend some time and ask him some questions. And that would be God himself. In fact, do you know that... uh, All the time, people would come to Jesus, and they would ask him questions. They wanted to know what he thought. They wanted to know what what he would do in certain situations. People always came to Jesus and asked him questions, and we want to give you an opportunity to ask God some questions. Uh, Once we get past Easter, we're going to enter into uh, a new time during the month of April, and we're going to spend that whole month working through a series that we're calling... Yeah, I've got some questions. And so I want to encourage you that um, it might be my questions, but that might not be the questions that you want answered. And so I want to invite you to help us out. If you pull open the church app right now, you're going to see right at the top on the homepage, there's this thing that says, hey, God, i got some questions. And, and we would love to hear from you. What, what is it that you would love to ask God? Maybe it's about your faith. Maybe it's about the Bible. Maybe it's about something that's going on in the world today. Maybe it's something where, like, we're setting it up by this phrase that, God, I want to follow you, but I got some questions. And and we would love to hear what it is that you would want to ask God. And we're going to take those and we'll assemble them and we'll find some common themes. And not that we're going to cover everything from A to Z, but we want to present some scriptural answers to the questions that, that rack us at times, the questions that we're burning to ask. Maybe it's the questions that your neighbor's been asking, and you have no way to answer it. So would you help us, and would you submit those questions? Because we want to dig into God's Word, and we want to share and make God's reality relevant to every one of us. And so we're asking for your help over the next couple of weeks 
be thinking about what questions might you want to be asking God, and we'll dig into those uh, in beginning in April. Uh, but today, we want to move forward in our Mark series. We've been talking about it past month. We've been even talking about it this morning. John was sharing about uh, paying attention to the reading plan that's been available uh, to everyone. Man, I pray that you are reading through the book of Mark together as we collectively grow. Uh, what we're seeing is that Mark wrote his gospel, which is really, it, it's his account of the ministry of Jesus Christ in this very succinct, fast-moving uh, presentation uh, that really gives us, especially in the first eight chapters, all about the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, as we lean into his kingdom, uh, the back half of the book is going to be all about uh, what it is that Jesus did on our behalf. And we're going to explore that when we get into the fall time. Uh, but uh, as we move through uh, Mark's gospel, so far what we found is that part of the identity of Jesus is surely he is the Son of God. Uh, we, we know him as this great teacher. He's been presented as the Messiah, which means the one that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied about who would come and redeem Israel. Some of us don't want sure exactly what that means, but they were looking forward to a future ruler who would deliver them from the Roman oppression. Uh, there's many different things that we learn about who Jesus is. We know Jesus to be the perfect Lamb of God who came and gave his life so that we might have life everlasting. But even when we consider all that we know about Jesus Christ so far, there is still so much more to, to discover. There's still so much more that we can learn. And so that's why we keep moving into through the beginning stages of Mark's gospel. Now, so far, up to this point in our series, what we've been doing is we've been taking these small little portions of Scripture, these bite-sized nuggets, if you will, and we've been kind of like digging in, borrowing in, and really just kind of trying to discover uh, exactly who Jesus is uh, in the beginning stages of Mark's gospel. Uh, today, I want us to switch things up a little bit, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a larger section. Actually, it's going to be three different sections of Scripture, uh, and what we want to do is we want to see that Mark gives us Four different events in the life or the ministry of Jesus Christ in successive order over the course of three different occasions. And he does it because all four of these events are kind of like tied together by this common thread. I want to show you something this morning that I think will be life transform transformational for you. If we'll just let God's word speak to us. So grab your Bibles, whether it's the written word like hard copy or if you've got it on your electronic device, whichever of your choosing, and open up your Bible app or the church app. We've already got the notes open for you. But we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 this morning. And we're going to be, put your finger at Mark 4 verse 35, but just for a second just to kind of set the stage the first part of Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus is teaching crowds using parables. Parables are Jesus' favorite way to teach. These are these illustrations 
these examples uh, about his kingdom and he's expressing some foundational truth. He's expressing some uh, biblical doctrine, whatever it might be. And he's sharing with the crowds through these parables. It's been a long day of teaching and he needs to get away from the crowds. And so uh, he and his disciples pull away from the crowds to get uh, off by themselves. And we're going to pick up Mark's account here in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Here's what we find. That day, when when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, the Sea of Galilee was in this very unique uh, location, if you will. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, but it's surrounded by these mountains or hills all around it that stand over 2,000 feet high, some even higher. And so because of that, there are these uh, specific weather situations and patterns that stir up pretty quickly. Uh, And what happens is that there's these storms that kind of just pop up and they're very common. But this storm, it's a doozy. The original word interpreted here where Mark uses furious squall is truly what you and I would know as the word hurricane. This is a big, big storm. There's something going on there. Meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat And these seasoned fishermen, they they were on these waters often. This is not their first big storm. But here's what's going on. These dudes are fearing for their life. Something huge is happening in this moment, this occasion, while these guys are in the boat with Jesus Christ. There's a storm all around them, a a hurricane. Uh, Things are happening uh, pretty rapidly. and, And... I don't know about you, but when I look into the white spaces of of this boat, I see, like, it's nighttime, for one. And so it's dark. The wind is blowing. The rains are coming. I mean, it's like in their face, they're getting soaking wet. Fear would be coming upon them. The boat is, is, like, just bobbing up and down, rocking back and forth, so much so that water is coming into the boat and it is starting to sink. And so I just wonder how many times as the disciples, I mean, they're just getting weather beaten here. They're struggling and their their boat is sinking and they're trying to bail water out of the boat. How many of them are looking back going, seriously? Is, is, is he not going to wake up and give us a hand? I mean, that's what's going on here. The size of the boat that they would have been in, 
is shorter than the distance from where I am to the back wall. Much shorter. There's 13 men in this boat. It would have been a full boat. There's not like, you know, there's not captain's quarters where they would be away from the water. It is, it is just coming upon them. And they're fearing for their lives. Something is going on. Have you ever been caught in a storm in your life? And you felt as if God didn't care if you survived or not? You ever been in a situation where you kind of thought to yourself, I'm not sure that I'm going to survive here, and I'm not sure that God's going to bail me out. I mean, we say things or we think things or we, we pray things like, God, if you loved us, we wouldn't be drowning in a sea of debt right now. God, if you loved us, the relationship with our son wouldn't be so rocky. God, if you truly cared, you would heal her body. God, if you, if you loved us, our marriage wouldn't be sinking right now. Fill in the gaps. Anything you want to say. Lord, if you loved me, this, whatever this is, wouldn't be happening right now. I mean, it's natural for us as we go through these storms in life and we're kind of wondering, does God even notice? Does he even care? Why isn't he doing something about it? Why hasn't he answered my prayer? Why isn't he bailing out the boat? Why isn't he responding? And I want you to know that Jesus wants you to recognize the same thing that he wanted his disciples to recognize. Storms will come, but there's no reason to panic. No reason to panic. In fact, this is what takes place as Jesus gets up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, there's, there's something eerily true about the sea. As it comes and the storms rage, and as they experience the storm that they're having, there's something that is uncontrollable by any power but God. It's the sheer power and force of the sea that's unstoppable, and the waves can travel for thousands of miles. But the, the response of the disciples in the very next verse, it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they're going through a hurricane, and they're feeling as if, like, Jesus isn't going to do anything. He wakes up, and just with a command... That is enough. The seas become completely calm. The winds die down. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that you have seen images over and over 
uh, of like uh, a hurricane or some kind of tropical storm. We see the images on TV, whether it's a a newscast or whichever way that you kind of collect these images. And and we see during the storm as it approaches the shore, I mean, the sea is just crashing onto the shore. It is just creating havoc and trees are bending over, water is filling everywhere, and it just feels as if like there is no stopping what's going on here. It, it was the end of August in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit like the whole you know New Orleans area and, and everything around there in Mississippi and, and just wreaked havoc to that area. It was just a few uh, months later, I happened to be in uh, Christian Pass, uh, Mississippi. The church that I was at at the time was uh, uh, sending a bunch of like supplies down for all these people who had lost everything. And I remember walking through this little town, Christian Pass, Mississippi. It was right on the edge of the Gulf Shore. And as I walked through there and with the people who were, uh, that I was with, but also who were leading, you know, our connection to the work that was being done there, it was explaining to me as I looked across that every house, every business, every gas station, even the post office was gone. The only thing that I saw was like these slabs of concrete that showed where buildings were or parking lots that people used to park in. And two blocks removed from uh, the waters, uh, just at the edge of where a bunch of this damage was, there sat this Walmart that was completely gutted. It was just a shell of a building. Not a single door was remained. Not a single window was in the building. Everything in that store, in that Walmart, had been swept out to sea by the rush of the waves. It's completely empty. You see, these storms are uncontrollable. Can't be stopped. They're going to come, and they're going to do some damage. But Jesus is saying, there's no reason to panic because I am with you. And yet Jesus has the power to stop the storm. I mean, that, that sounds amazing. The sea can't be tamed, but Jesus says, enough is enough. And not only do the winds stop, but we read, and Mark tells us, that the seas become dead calm. Jesus has power over nature. Makes sense. He's the one that created it. He's the one that brought it into existence. But the answer or the question that the disciples are asking, and that probably you and I ask from time to time, Who is this? They're asking this question, and I'm so thankful that this question is included in the text and and given to us because they're in this honest moment. Here's what I believe is taking place, and that gives me such confidence, is that you can be with Jesus and still not fully understand him. You and I can know who Jesus is. You and I even can have a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. We can trust him as our Lord and Savior. We can walk with him day in and day out and still not fully understand who he is. I mean, these disciples, uh, they got the privilege uh, to eat with him when no one else would be around. They got the privilege to travel with him and hear things that no one else would hear. In fact, Mark even tells us just before this story that when he, he explains things to his disciples that he doesn't explain to the crowds, that's why he teaches in parables. And so they've got a front row seat to Jesus Christ, and they still don't fully understand. Can I just encourage you that when you're wondering, I don't understand who Jesus is, I don't get who God is, that's okay. Because what I'm learning is that the more I find out about Jesus, the more that I discover about who God is and what it is that he's doing, the more I'm kind of left scratching my head thinking, who in the world is this? You mean he loves me? He cares about me. There's no way that we're going to understand everything about God. But yet we're still invited to spend time with him, to be in a relationship with him, and we can grow that way. You don't need to know everything about Jesus to trust in Jesus. Accept him today as your Lord and Savior. Lord, I still got questions. Trust in him through whatever storms may come. In fact, there are times in my life where I feel as if that guy who said to Jesus, "Um, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because there are things in my life that I still wonder. There are still some times that I'm not sure that, that I can take you at your word. But I want to grow with you. I want to trust in you. So just when the disciples thought that they had seen it all, I mean, like, he calms the seas and he makes it completely still. The boat comes to the shore. And as it comes to the shore, this man with impure spirit meets Jesus on the shore. But this is no ordinary man, and this is no run-of-the-mill evil spirit that is within him. We find in chapter 5 that this dude lived in the tombs. The reason for that was because he was completely out of control. uh, And he was running amok through town. In fact, he was dangerous to other people. Not only to himself, but he would be a threat and a danger to other people. And so they would try to to bind him. They would put uh, chains around his ankles and his feet his uh, wrist, and and yet his strength would break free. He was able to to always not be contained. And so Jesus shows up at that moment, and when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't Torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Incredible scene takes place in this moment. What we find is that Jesus has power over the natural forces of the storm, but he steps out of the boat and he has power over the spiritual forces of darkness as well. This demonic spirit, he recognizes right away who Jesus is and what it is that he's capable of. Now, whether the name Legion is symbolic, and many suggest it is, symbolic for the Roman army units, numbering 6,000, really, that, that's not essentially important. But what we do know is that there's roughly 2,000 pigs there that are filled with these impure spirits. There's a whole bunch of them. And, and it drives all of these pigs off the edge of the cliff, off the edge of the cliff. Now, what we see is that the demons, they have Jesus outnumbered, but they're no match for the Almighty. Right. And you and I need to recognize something. Sin loses its grip when Jesus grabs the heart. You, you think that you've got challenges and, and the enemy is attacking you and you can't overcome that addiction or that struggle or whatever it, is, whatever it is. I want you to know something. When Jesus grabs your heart, sin will lose its grip. There's no match for the Almighty. You don't think that it's possible that you can break free from whatever it is that's tearing you down. But the Holy Spirit has other plans for you. The wounds from a broken trust, they run deep. And that scar is still open. But Jesus loves to restore. Now, everywhere you look, darkness seems to be prevailing. Division has taken root and despair is on the rise. It might feel like Jesus is outnumbered, but make no mistake... There is no match for the Almighty. He is here and available for us if we will just trust in His power. Satan already knows that he's defeated. But he's going to do everything within his power to cause chaos and destruction. If you read through the rest of this story, there as this demonic that man uh, is released from all that is within him and he's restored the townspeople are still struggling because they just lost their cash crop over the edge of the cliff. 2,000 years later, the best way to mess with people is disrupt their economy. That's where we all still wonder, how are we going to survive? And so what happened was all the townspeople, they didn't see who Jesus was. They were fearful of what he was capable of and they drove him away. I would say it still happens today. And what happens is that we choose to exist and stay within fear rather than by living with faith. Popular opinion does not negate God's authority. 
even though the townspeople said, you know what, collectively, you need to go, Jesus was still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's got unmatched power, whether you access it or not. And Mark shows us two more instances quickly of this power during one occasion as the disciples and their teacher go back in the boat and they go to the other side of the lake again. Well, as you know, the story so far, I mean, every time Jesus shows up, a crowd is there. And so there's a crowd that is gathered around Jesus as he gets out of the boat. And one of the synagogue leaders is there asking Jesus for help. We find it beginning in verse 23 of chapter 5. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I love this. So Jesus went with him. Please recognize that any time that we come and ask Jesus for help, he will respond to you. He will go with you, and he will be by your side. I mean, uh, this guy, this synagogue leader, has heard about, probably even seen, maybe even just a week earlier, where in the synagogue that perhaps he was in, Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand. We heard about that last week if you were with us. And now he's coming to Jesus with a situation in his life that he wants Jesus to intervene and to heal his daughter. But there's a problem. As Jesus and this man are going to visit this girl, somebody else in the crowd wants Jesus for healing for herself. And so in the midst of this desperate woman's plea, Jesus stops and he takes care of a woman who's been suffering for 12 years. And he knows that power has gone out from him. And so he stops and he's wanting to make eye contact with the person who trusted in his power. He wants to respond to her. And we read in the occasion there of Mark chapter 5, he heals her body, but he also gives her peace. Without raising your hand, how many of you want peace today? Jesus Christ can give it to you. And so, while it's an amazing story for this woman, the delay in getting to this little girl has resulted in her death. And so the servants of the synagogue leader, they, they arrive and they let their master know, hey, um, don't bother him anymore. She's dead. In fact, we read in verse 30, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, the Father, don't be afraid, just believe. I can imagine at this moment, this dad, as he chokes back, hearing the news of his now departed daughter, when Jesus says, just believe, his response might have been, I did to believe. That's why I came to you. And, and he would have easily been able to turn around and walk away dejected, feeling as if God didn't care, feeling as if the man who had healed everybody else was distracted and didn't come and take care of his daughter. He could have easily been excused for that. 
I certainly would. But in those moments when you think that all is lost, I want you to recognize Jesus wants you to trust that nothing is beyond his power. When you think all is lost, when you think there's no way this relationship's going to be restored, you think there's no way that, that things are going to change, there is no way that we're going to get to the other side unscathed. I want you to recognize that nothing is beyond his power. God works in amazing ways all the time. It's a specialty. And in that moment, we need to trust that no storm is too fierce. No attacks from the enemy are too many. No circumstance is too devastating. We can trust that nothing is beyond the power of our Lord and Savior. Is there something in your life right now that you feel as if like your fear is greater than your faith? You're not 100% sure if God's going to respond? I want you to trust that God is not leaving you on your own. He's walking with you. He's going with you to wherever you are. He was in the boat. He stood there on the the shore. He's walking with the man to his house. Jesus arrives at this man's house, and he goes in to where she is, and he says uh, to this woman, Talitha Kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. When you read little girl, and again, we recognize, I mean, we're finding out that she's 12. This has nothing to do with her age. Instead, Jesus is using a term of endearment. It would be more about like if I was to say, ah, precious child. Or maybe if you were to use the word sweetheart. Or whatever, maybe there is this term of endear. My oldest daughter, one of my words that I would use for her is squirt. It's a term of endearment. It's this idea that Jesus, who's capable of calming the seas, being able to command demons to come out of people, he's able to heal diseases. This Jesus, with all his power, he is also personal and gentle. With this girl. And that's how he sees you. And that's how he wants to take care of you. He wants to be personal and gentle. He's not this powerful force that is just going to stand back and give you these strong commands. And with this stern face, he's going to come up alongside and he's going to be gentle and compassionate. And he's going to lovingly show you that he so desperately cares for you. And so the most powerful is also the most personal. And Jesus lifts her to new life. What we find there in the very next verse, or excuse me, is that Jesus doesn't want to just heal her, but he wants to resurrect her. In that moment where he lifts her up and she begins to walk around, and to experience life, we can take from that same picture that Jesus doesn't want to just heal you. He wants to give you a resurrection. It's the only thing 
that Jesus can do for this woman is to give her a brand new life. She had to, she had to die first in order to experience that. You see, only Jesus has the power to give her a resurrection, and only Jesus has the power to give you a resurrection. Because he has the power to defeat death there on the cross once and for all. When he took on our sins and when he went into the grave and three days later rose again. His resurrection makes it possible for your resurrection. And we want to trust in that and recognize that he has all the power. But yet he is very personal. And he's a God who loves you and knows you by name. What I want us to see here is that Mark's telling us the power of Jesus is not found by what he does, but in who he is. He can be trusted. He is the Almighty, and he will never be outnumbered. And he wants to show you that he desperately cares for you. Who Jesus is is the one who is sovereign over everything. Yet he knows you by name, and he calls you his child. My prayer is is that you will respond to Jesus and his love and his mercy and you will accept the grace that is offered by God through Jesus Christ. Most powerful uh, being ever came uh, to die for you so that you might have life so that he can grab you and say rise, get up and experience a new life. Pray with me. Lord God, we are so grateful for your mercy and your grace. Lord, I'm so grateful for your power. A, a power that cannot, be un, that cannot be matched. It cannot be even fully grasped or understood. But what's so amazing about your power is that it is gentle, and that it is real, and that it is caring. That you come in all of your power in the name of Jesus Christ. And you reach out and you touch us and you lift us up to new life. Lord, thank you for all that you are and continue to do. May we trust in your power, the power of Jesus Christ in our life. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray all this. Amen. Let's stand and let's celebrate together.